0: Live from Pullman National Monument in Chicago, Illinois, with your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes.
1: We welcome you to live from the Pullman National Monument, our global cast magazine format talk radio show, where we discuss all things cultural, economic development, i.e., tourism, and we hold informative conversations on the arts, music, business, and people. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, founder of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porting Museum, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. Good day to you, my listening audience, and we thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Today's show is brought to you by the Pullman Messenger Magazine and Hughes Peterson Publishing. Partially underwritten by Choose Chicago, the premier tourism marketing agency in Chicago, Illinois.
0: Visit the PullmanBorderMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And, of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to our show. Welcome to another edition of Live from the Pullman National Monument. Once again, we want to thank you for sharing part of your day with us. On today's show, as always, we strive to bring you what we hope is interesting and informative content on every aspect of tourism. But first, in the tradition that we have established, we always start the show by giving you a little bit of information about the Pullman National Monument, which is where we are. So we, we try to give you sort of updates, if you will. So for right now, there's not a lot of new anything happening. We're still building. But in the process of the National Park Service building their new visitor center, there are other sites, those of us, of which the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is among a small group of sites They were already working, already established before the National Park Service came to join us. And so we have uh, currently the National Park Service is operating out of what we call the Shared Visitor Center. So the Visitor Center is being shared by the National Park Service and the historic Pullman Foundation. They have an arrangement, and so the visitor center is operated by both parties, if you will. Now, what's happening at, what's in the visitor center? It is that. It's designed to sort of be the traffic cop, if you will, of the Pullman National Monument. And so its its purpose is to direct individual visitors to the various sites within the monument. We're still working out the kinks, but that's what it's supposed to do. Now the historic Pullman Foundation, their focus is the nineteenth century architecture of the town of the original town of Pullman and the history of the company and sort of how the company operated within the town that George Pullman built. That's one site in the monument. There's another site called the Greenstone Church. Uh, It is significant in that it was a Unitarian church. The green limestone bricks, and it has a very famous organ that is featured there, which is apparently a really big deal. (laughs) We have... Also, the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. Our focus is uh, black labor history. That is all that we do. We leave the other part of the history of the town to uh, the Pullman Foundation, and that is their focus. But our focus is 100% on black labor history, and we are the only African-American site, in the monument, we also have the distinction of being the only museum nationwide that exclusively interprets the chronological history and a sequence of important events in the history of the founding of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, which happened to be the first African-American labor union uh, charted in America under the American Federation of Labor. Because this is Black History Month, I'm taking the liberty of giving you a little bit more information about that. The National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is what we call a thematic museum. And so the theme, of course, is Black Labor History. And that is what we do. We, tell, we exclusively tell the story of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and the only one of the, its kind worldwide, and and I say that because other museums have exhibits about the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Our entire museum is dedicated to Black labor history and the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. That is our distinction. So we, in addition to those three sites, there is one restaurant. It's called the Pullman Cafe. It's a quaint Uh, eatery, a sandwich shop, or there's other things that are are established now. I think we now have uh, pot, pot bellies, but there's so much activity and building that when visitors come, I think each time visitors come, there's something new happening. But be that as it may, as of today. That is what we have in the Pullman National Monument. The Pullman National Monument was established in February of 2015 by a proclamation of um, 44th President Barack Obama, and so it is designated as a unit of the Pullman of the National Park Service. Although we The National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, we're not a unit of the National Park Service. We're what is called a partner site. So the National Park Service does not own our museum, nor does it operate our museum, because we're 24 years old and they've only been there four. At any rate, we hope that that provides you some information, uh, important information that that will arm you, uh, better equip you when you come to visit the Pullman National Monument. So we are going to take a break and come back with our first guest. Let's go to break and come back with today's guest. Port Hughes-Peterson Publishing by visiting
0: thepullmanmessenger.com and purchase an annual subscription. It's just $12 a year. Or purchase an Anthology of Respect by Dr. Lynn Hughes, available on Amazon.com.
1: to another edition of Live from Pullman National Monument. And as you are aware, this show is about tourism, all aspects of tourism. And today we have as our guest co-host, David A. Peterson. He is our resident tourist stat guru. The information that he provides to you are important statistics that provide you, the listening audience, with a better understanding, perhaps, and a perspective on tourism statistics. So without further ado, David Peterson, welcome to the show.
2: Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Hughes. What a pleasure and an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So so just to jump in, you know, the numbers are in and we are excited about the influence uh, tourism and hospitality has had on not only the, the city, but the state of Illinois. Uh, specifically in Chicago, uh, in 2018, we had 58 million visitors come to Chicago. So now we're up 4% from 2017. And that's about 19 million more visitors than it was in 2011. Uh, during that time period, it's created 22,000 jobs. Um, so, you know, we, we as we can see, there's definitely a trend of inclining uh, tourism activity coming to the, uh, to the city. In regard to the state, ironically, um, we had nearly 114 million travelers uh, come this year, uh, last year, uh, giving a 1.1 billion boost to the state's economy. So that's another, you know, thing to toot our horn about. And, um, you know, 1.4 percent higher than it was in 2016. Uh, so we're excited, you know. We're we're excited to see the trend going up, and we are anticipating a lot more happening uh, as time goes on.
1: Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's always good to know because you know, as the people who travel around the globe, and they always, people somehow, Chicago always comes on the radar. So we're always happy to provide information about what's happening in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago in particular. And so, the kind of information that you have just provided helps the listening audience. Let's go to break and come back with our next guest. So, hello everyone and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Around the Museum Table. So happy that you're joining us today. We are on a new day and a new time, so it's taking a little bit of getting used to, but we're getting there. And as always, we hope today's show will be informative for you and enlightening. Our guest today is Samuel W. Black. Mr. Black is Director of African American Programs at the Senator John Hines History Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We have had the honor to have Mr. Black with us previously, about a year ago maybe, and we are just delighted that he's agreed to come back with us uh, and join us today. In addition to being director of African-American programs at the John Hines History Center, Mr. Black is also author of Soul Soldiers, a book about African-Americans in the Vietnam War era. And so today, this is going to be a very interesting show He's also has a very special project that he wants to talk that we're going to be discussing today. It's very unique. And so I, I think rather than my butchering the content, <laughs> I'm going to say, Mr. Black, welcome to the show and allow him to just to introduce himself and the wonderful projects that we're going to be discussing today. Welcome, Mr. Black.
0: Well, thank you.
1: So you want to let's just start by your introducing yourself and talk a little bit about uh, the John Hines History Center for our listening audience, for those around the globe and those who are here nationally. Who might have the honor of uh, or the pleasure of visiting your site? Uh, so let's let's assume that no one listening knows anything about John Hines History Center, and you're going to just tell everyone how great it is and all of the wonderful kinds of things that happen there that both local and vis- international visitors might like to ha- to uh, take part in.
0: Uh, well, sure. Um... Again, my name is Samuel Black. I am the director of African-American programs. And um, what that means is basically I work as a curator um, for the Heinz History Center, which is a, um, one of the larger history museums in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and it's a Smithsonian uh, affiliate organization. Uh, it's been around since um, 1879, uh, so it's the oldest cultural institution in the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, I've been there for 17 years. I've worked in museums uh, for 27 years, and um, uh, you know, being a curator, I'm really excited about you know the work that I, um, I've been doing and and the projects that I've undertaken. You know, over the last couple of years, uh, including um, soul soldiers and a number of other things.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Um, it's always good. It, this show, of course, is, is about tourism, but we always like to highlight special places, and I happen to think uh, that the Hint, Heinz Sensory Center is a very special place, and I so enjoy... Uh, your visit with us previously where you had an opportunity to share with us uh some some information about some of the programs that occur at the museum and uh talked about some of the exhibits uh that you have there it was always very informative so so i kind of would like to know tell us if you have something special going on if there's a an exhibit that's coming or, or something that you want to share with the listening audience that you think is worthy of delving into a conversation about?
0: Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, today being February 1st, the beginning of Black History Month, uh, we're very busy with a number of public programs that we're doing um, uh, holding this month, Uh, including a um, collaboration that we have, partnership, with the Smithsonian Channel uh, and Comcast, um, in which we are one of the many venues um, around the country that will premiere a Smithsonian Channel documentary uh, this year on February 19th. That documentary is going to be called uh, The Green Book. A Guide to Freedom, Um, not to confuse anyone with the commercial uh, film that is out in theaters right now, but uh, the Green Book, A Guide to Freedom, is a documentary produced by the Smithsonian Channel, and that's going to premiere at the Heinz History Center on February 19th. In addition to that, on February 28th, our annual Black History Month lecture, which is uh, our uh, major public program that we do for Black History Month, um, we will have guest lecturer Dr. Leonard Moore, who is vice president and uh, history professor from the University of Texas at Austin, uh, who's going to talk about black politics and black power. And uh, so we're looking forward to that this year. And then in April, Uh, we will open a new exhibit, which I am curating, uh, called The Vietnam War, 1945 to 1975. Um, uh, That's going to look at a number of different aspects of the war, including the Vietnam War and the Cold War era, uh, uh, as well as um, uh, the cultural impact of the Vietnam War on music, dress, attitudes of people, Um, and of course, there'll be a large um, profile on the African American experience in the Vietnam War.
1: One of the things that I wanted to ask about is, uh, back up just a moment, when you spoke about the the documentary that green uh, uh, on the Green Book that the Smithsonian and Comcast are doing, I think that's a fabulous idea. You know the uh, we had on our show on this show a uh, little over a year ago. Um, the folks who have the travel agency and they uh, spoke; they were collaborators with. Uh, the people who uh, were bringing the green book back to life, if you will. So apparently um, those efforts were fruitful because fast forward there's 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 a there's a movie uh, there's a resurgence and in int- interest in the green book that I'm thrilled about and now I'm very pleased to know that uh, the Smithsonian and Comcast or doing something on the documentary. I, I just think there's so much history that we have that is hidden and, and sort of not discussed or revealed or thoroughly discussed in a way that it ought to be. And I think that we're, these are very interesting times that we are in where things are coming to the surface like the Green Book, because there are probably thousands and thousands of people who knew absolutely nothing about the Green Book, absolutely nothing. So I'm I'm very pleased and very proud to be part of a group of people who focuses on history to unearth, if you will, uh, some of those kinds of things. So thank you so much for sharing uh, that with us. And it's very uh, interesting to learn about the exhibit that you have coming in April. So as the uh, opening of that gets closer, you'll have to come back uh, and discuss it more uh, so that we can be sure to get as many people from around the globe as humanly possible to come and see what I know is going to be a wonderful exhibit.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, We're looking forward to it, um, and we think that not only exhibition but all of our programs um, are actually giving um, the Pittsburgh community and and visitors that we attract uh, from all over the country an opportunity not only uh, to learn about Pittsburgh and about Pittsburgh's African-American history and heritage, um, but also to learn a lot about the – Uh, The Heinz History Center in terms of what we offer, you know, when I mentioned earlier that um, the History Center is uh, the largest history museum in Pittsburgh, Um, I really didn't clarify that. Uh, We are, uh, in terms of uh, space, the facility takes up one city block, um, uh, and it's about 248,000 square feet.
2: Oh my and has goodness!
0: Exhibitions on six floors, uh, so it, it is a, a a very large footprint, um, and our operation is just as large. We employ about 100 people. I am one of um, about eight curators um, who are full-time staff, uh, professional staff there. So um, the organization also operates and maintains a number of other museums, including the Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum, the Thomas and Catherine Detrade Library and Archives, as well as um, the Fort Pitt Museum um, and uh, the Meadowcroft um, uh, Rock Shelter and Historic Village. Uh, so we are a pretty large operation and um, uh, consider ourselves a first-class museum.
1: Well, that's fabulous to know because you give, it provides uh, visitors with an array of choices uh, and offerings that they can visit each of those uh, sites within the site, if you will. Uh, And that's always good to know. We, We... We like to pride ourselves on making sure that people who are listening know what's out there, what's available. And so for the people from from around the globe and and just local people or from across the country to know that there's always information, knowledge that one can uh, absorb uh, and, and and leave being informed and enlightened and understanding better about culture, the, the general envelope of culture, within that envelope there are many, many slices, if you will. And so h- having the privilege of visiting some place like the Heinz History Center that offers those different venues is absolutely wonderful. And, and I think that as we encourage people to visit, that is, it helps the museum community, but it also helps the broader community because when you know more, you understand, and, and, and it's about, underst- when you can understand a person's culture, It makes you a better person, a better citizen, better informed. And I think that we need that, particularly in, in the world today. And so I think we're very fortunate to be able to have sites like Heinz History Center and people like you who care enough to devote their time and their life's work to making sure that those sites are equipped and prepared in a way that people from wherever they come uh, leave with a better understanding and, and information that they can share. They leave being a, a committee of one <laughs> where they can go back to wherever they live, these places of origin, and share that information about the wonderful things that uh, they observed in, in the United States of America. Let's talk about Soul Soldiers.
0: Oh, sure. Soul Soldiers is a book that I edited, A affordable, comes with hardback and paper. And um, uh, one of the other things that I was really proud of is uh, a friend of mine who happens to be uh, one of the best poets in the country, uh, Terrence Hayes, uh, who's the um, poetry uh, uh, editor of the New York Times as well as a former National Book Award winner for poetry, uh, actually uh, was able to do an essay uh, in the book um, about his own family's connection to the Vietnam War. Uh, Terrence had, for the first time in his life, met his birth father in 2005. Um, And um, uh, learning from his birth father, about his grandfather, uh, who fought in um, the first major battle between the United States and the North Vietnamese Army uh, in the Ai Drang Valley of Vietnam in November of, of 1965. Uh, unfortunately, his grandfather was a casualty of that battle, um, and uh, and that was Terrence's sort of introduction. and He and I talked, and I asked him to uh, write an essay, and he said, well, you know, I'm not a historian. I'm a poet. So I said, but you're a writer. And so uh, I said, you know, just write about what you felt about, uh, first of all, learning about who your birth father was and um, and who this long-lost grandfather, who unfortunately you, you never met, but you learned about uh, his um Uh, service in the Vietnam War. And so uh, that's, you know, the the tenor of the book was that I was able to um, get some uh, contributions um, from a number of writers uh, who were looking at topics that uh, very few people had uh, written about or talked about, the role of black women in Vietnam, for instance. Um, uh, I mentioned the impact of the war on communities and families, uh, which was a chapter I wrote about. Um, So it was great to really uh, interview a number of Vietnam veterans and uh, get them to talk um, a lot about um, their experiences in the war. It was a a very, um, um, I would say, therapeutic for myself as well as some of the veterans because, as you know, the Vietnam War was such a different campaign uh, than, than the wars that had happened before, especially World War II and World War One, and so forth, uh, where the troops returned. They returned as a group. They held parades for them and so forth. In Vietnam, people came back as individuals. Uh, you didn't return with your entire unit or your division. Um, your tour of duty was up based on your individual... Time in um, the military so um, and then of course with the anti-war movement and so forth going on there was so much controversy around the war so a lot of the veterans that I interviewed were really gracious that they were able to finally tell their story that someone was interested uh, in listening to them uh, as they talked about everything from uh, you know basic training to what it was like going to Vietnam, what it was like when they first arrived there, Um, you know, the different battles that they fought in, what it was like in the military, the level of racism in the military at the time was a theme that they all talked about. And I asked each one that I interviewed, I interviewed about 25 veterans, um, and I asked each one about um, if they were in the military around the time that Dr. King was assassinated um, -How did that impact them um, as a um, uh, member of the United States military? And I got a variety of different responses. Um, and um, some of them talked about the um, the racial discrimination and uh, bigotry that took place uh, on military bases in Vietnam, the way that some, uh, white soldiers celebrated the assassination of Dr. King. Um, all of this when you're trying to fight you know, uh, a war and you're supposed to have um, unity. Uh, so those were some of the things that were really revealing uh, to me and to see that you know, some of the animosity in our society uh, at the time carried over into the military.
1: Research <laughs> Research uncovers some very interesting and valuable data, but also it has a way of revealing emotions and circumstances, uh, all of which, often, more often than not, the average person doesn't even think about, and it, it doesn't occur to one's mindset until that information is on earth and, and, and put on display, if you will. Mm-hmm. So so I, I think that probably the people that you interviewed were grateful because it, it sounds to me like it provided them with a kind of closure that they needed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think... It, it was therapeutic. Sounds like it might have been therapeutic for all involved.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So, so your you, your your research had a dual purpose. Uh, um, I
0: and- think so. Yes, I think very much that it did. Um, and it was sort of unintentional. Uh, I mm-hmm. didn't initially plan that to happen. Uh, it's just the um, the type of response. You know, when I was formulating my ideas uh in uh, as early as two thousand two um with this uh project, um I met a couple of Vietnam veterans uh here in Pittsburgh and I talked to them about it and I said, This is what I think I'm you know, I wanna do and I asked them what did they think about it. They thought it was a good idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And once those two veterans um decided to support the project, um, you know, it's one of the things I learned about Vietnam veterans is that black or white, is that they are really close to each other. And there's a real fraternity of uh, Vietnam veterans. And so when I got two vet- just two veterans um, to work with me, they then spread the word um, throughout the Vietnam uh, veteran community here, and um, and that's how I got so much support. When I said I interviewed 25 veterans, um, about 18 of the 25 were part of a post-traumatic stress disorder counseling group, and so you know that gives you some idea of um, the type of response. Uh, to the project, and the fact that there were veterans who felt that, yes, talking with Samuel Black about my um, experiences in Vietnam may be something that's going to help me deal with my PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, some of those guys talked to me about things. Uh, when I was interviewing them, sometimes they would ask me to turn the recorder off, you know, because they got very emotional.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and that you know, or they would say, you know, I never thought about, I haven't thought about that in 50 years, you know, um, and um, so uh, you know, it was it was a very therapeutic thing in myself. Um, you know, there were times when I wonder, you know, if this is something that my own brother. You know, went through? Did he have the same Mm -hmm. um, uh, PTSD um, uh, impact? As a matter of fact, my brother, I said that he did two tours in Vietnam. He came back, um, his first tour was 1965 to 66. Then he was there from 67 to 68. uh, And then um, came back uh, to the States. Um, and was in the Army Reserve and was planning to go back to Vietnam in 1971 um, and was killed um, in New York City two months before he was to leave to go back to Vietnam. So that was a devastating episode, and I remember it. I was 10 years old at the time, so I remember it very well um, and the impact it had on our family. Um, But I also remember one of my best friends growing up as a child. His father was killed in Vietnam. So, you know, it was something I always wanted to say was that a lot of times people don't understand the depth of the pain that African Americans have suffered, Um, just the pain of living in America and dealing with the day-to-day racism in America, but also the fact that you have African-Americans, despite dealing with that racism, who are still putting their lives on the line for this country. And the pain of that, um, you know, on that their families feel uh, is something very powerful. And I really want to talk about that and to capture that, both in the book and the exhibition.
1: Well, I can't wait until um, the exhibit is ready, I may just have to take a trip to uh, Pittsburgh to take a look. Uh, I would love to do that. I I, I think it's going to be very powerful and impactful, I think. Um, and, And the therapy may continue in helping people through that exhibit. You never know. You never you you never know, so I think what you're doing is a good thing for Thank the history Thank center and and for people in general because there's still people who need closure uh, from that war. Yeah. Uh, it was very complex, uh, and still had this ambivalence around the whole subject matter so 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 before we run out of time i would like for you to talk about a bit about the special project the uh pronounce it for me cassop
0: oh catsup a recipe uh-huh. for rice yes yes it, that's a wonderful project it's actually not my project but i'm working on it it's my wife's project Um uh, uh, my wife is an uh, associate professor of uh, African history and the Atlantic world at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, she's one of the leading experts in the world on the history and culture of West African rice farmers uh, and their impact on coastal rice plantations in um, South Carolina, Georgia, and northern Florida Sea Islands. Um, and uh, a Cossip, a Requiem for Rice, is a project she has developed uh, with a number of partners. Um, It is actually going to premiere in Pittsburgh. Uh, It's a classical music piece. She's working with the Color Music Orchestra out of Charleston, South Carolina, and um, classic music composer John Wineglass. Uh, who is originally, his family is originally from the South Carolina Sea Islands, uh, But he lives in Los Angeles and uh, does a lot of uh, musical scores for television and movies and so forth. Um, and my wife is writing the libretto for uh, A Requiem for Rice. The title of the presentation is called Unburied, Unmourned, and Unmarked. And it's really a a requiem, as we know, is is, um, a uh, uh, classical opera um, uh, type of production that um, looks at the, um, uh, or recognizes the um, uh, sort of a funerary of uh, something that has passed or someone who has passed. And so what my wife is doing through, from a classical music standpoint is to teach people about the um, uh, enslavement of Africans in um, rice plantations in the Sea Islands and the degree of, um, again, um, uh, you know, the degree of, of strife, really, Uh, in these rice plantations. I've learned so much uh, through her work and her research. And uh, on my aspect of it, because I work in museums, I've been able to uh, help her develop a few things and curate a few things uh, for the project. But it's really her work, and it's very powerful. It's going to premiere again in Pittsburgh on February 13th and then she's planning to take it um, on the road across the country. There are a number of other uh, cities uh, and institutions across the country who are interested, uh, and so she's working those details out right now. Uh, She's also working with film director Julie Dash uh, as a part of this project um, as well. So it has a lot of tentacles to it, Um, But um, so far over the last uh, two or three years in developing uh, uh, the project, uh, she's received a great deal of support. Um, And the fact, again, that uh, it's a story that uh, very few of us really know and understand um, aspect of black history. Um, There are a lot of devastating things about life on a rice plantation. And um, she's bringing all of that out. In addition to the classical music piece that's going to premiere this month, um, maybe about a year from now, her book on the history of the Gullah Geechee uh, will be published. And um, so we're looking forward to that. So, you know, as a scholar does, you know, know, there's uh, a publication connected to um, a bigger project. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, she's working really hard on it, and it's it's really been um, something that uh, has garnered a great deal of uh, support and appeal.
1: Well, I th- thank you so much for sharing uh, the information on both of the wonderful projects that you've discussed today. And I applaud the work that you do, uh-huh. Mike. My- Congratulations to Mrs. Black for the work that she's doing. I think it's going to have a profound impact, uh, not just on Pittsburgh, but across the globe, I think. And okay. so it's uh, opening on February 13th? Yes. And it, is it opening at the History Center or another uh, location? No,
0: it's going to be. Uh, our venue is not um, large enough for it. Uh, it's going to open at the Carnegie Music Hall in Pittsburgh on February 13th, and um, we we are hoping that um, it will premiere, um, you know, uh, in other cities across the country. Um, uh, it's um, it's a really fantastic piece, and I think that one of the things that people are going to learn not only about this history of uh, American slavery. Uh, looking at rice plantations, but also from the performance, the fact that you're going to have this full orchestra. Everyone in the orchestra is black. And um, uh, just to see the type of talent, the classical music talent uh, that exists in the color of music orchestra is itself a very tremendous thing. So um, she's been able to accomplish a lot of things as a historian to bring not only art into her historical work, um, but um, also to uh, give the public an opportunity to see the type of uh, musical and artistic talent that exists in the African-American community.
1: Well, congratulations to you both. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Sure. So, and I thank you. So ladies and gentlemen, join me. In thanking Samuel W. Black, Director of African American Programs from the Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and author of Soul Soldiers, African American in the Vietnam era, available at the Heinz History Center and Amazon.com. So once again, for thank you for joining us for another edition
0: thank you for having me
1: you're welcome everybody thank you for sharing with us another informative show on the ever-expanding topic of tourism thank you to the listening audience and a very special thank you to the pullman messenger magazine thank you to our fantastic engineer mr don Newsom smooth jazz artist Jonathan Fritzen for allowing us to use his music on our show every week and last but not least you the listening audience because without you there would be no show and we'll see you next time on live from the Pullman National Monument
0: Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.